So, you know, generally when the kids sing, somebody falls off the stage, somebody picks their nose, or someone flashes you. And since they haven't, I'm wondering whose, plants, whose pants are going to split when they pick up these uh, risers. Pastor Jason, I'm, I'm voting for you, buddy. I'm just, I'm hoping. And the day of stretchy pants, I don't think it's going to happen anymore. So they're going to do some resetting, and uh, they're going to come back uh, and get my computer all hooked back up again, my clicker and my notes. But um, I, I guess I want to start by saying this for the sake of time. Other things, I've got 13 minutes left. I guess I think I can do an entire message and baptize dozens of people in 13 minutes. Can I see your hand? That's another way of saying, how many of you guys are visiting with us today? Good. So here, here's kind of a weird transition, but follow me if you would. Have you ever done something that was so, so wrong, so bad that you wondered if God could forgive you? And I know it's like, wow, the kids are out there and now you're just like slap me in the face. I, I, this will make sense in a minute, but have you ever wondered, like, either it was so bad the thing that I did or the thing that was bad I've done so many times that I wonder if I haven't expended uh, the patience of, of God. And, I, and I, I find that as a pastor, one of the greatest crises that people face in their faith has to do with that question. Like, I, I, I know that what I was doing is wrong. I know I did was, you know, bad, or, or I just can't seem to quit or whatever. And there comes that place where that, that one thought becomes almost, almost tangible, almost believable, that I wonder if I've gone too far. I wonder if I've crossed a line from which there's no crossing back. I was looking at the Scripture the other day, and I was reading the Bible about really one of the worst things that anybody had ever done. And, and it starts on on the Passover, and this is about 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was a teacher, a rabbi, uh, a good man and a great man, the, he's displaying the kingdom of God, the power of God, he's, he's blessing children, he's valuing women, he's speaking the truth in love, unless the truth needed to be written on a sledgehammer and some of them need to be pummeled with it. Um, he, he's right, and what he's done is right, and what he said is right, and who he is is right. He literally is righteous. But jealousy and problems and politics all comes together in this one mass chaotic scene where people that had traveled from all over the, the Roman, can you remember the, the Jewish nation as a scattered nation in the time of Jesus? They were scattered by the Persians and then scattered by the Greeks and then scattered by the Romans. And so they live all over the place, but they have what they call pilgrimage. Like once every lifetime, at least, everybody wants to walk hundreds of miles sometimes, over a thousand miles from Rome or from Egypt. And, and they, they travel to this one city where they spend, you know, not just like a day and go home. You don't fly there and leave. You talk about jet lag. How many guys walk a thousand miles? You need a break. You know what I mean? So families, babies, pregnant women, whatever, grandmothers, they would all, I just want to go to Jerusalem. I just want to go to pilgrimage. So they gather, but as they gather, they find that there's this big chaotic scene and they fall into this as a mass. Thousands of people that have gathered from all over the known Roman world fall into this mass. And what, what the crowd is shouting, what everybody seems to be saying, where they're, where they're getting their news from, if you will, is just this, this anger group is saying, we have no king but Caesar, give us Barabbas, crucify him. And I can just imagine how they said, what is going on? Like, we came here to worship. We came here to make sacrifice. We, this is a trip of a lifetime. We've saved for a generation to come here together with Billy and Susie and Grandma and Grandpa, and, and we, want to, we want, just want to know God. Like, we came here to find God. Instead, we found all this indoctrinated mess. But as they ask their questions, they get their answers, and they fall in with this crowd, and they begin to shout things at a person they don't know anything about except for what they've heard. I'm glad we don't have that today. I'm glad the news broadcasts speak only truth. But you can see how if you're, if you're not educated but indoctrinated, you can arrive at, at a mob mentality. And so people that don't know anything about Jesus except they don't like him and they got on a robe and they have a title and they have a position, so I don't, I don't like him either. 
and they begin to scream, give us Barabbas. They wanted a, a convicted murderer to be set free so that the Son of God would be executed for a crime he never committed. And so I, I, I thought about that, and then I looked at the day of Pentecost. Fifty days later, after that, Jesus, Jesus had been crucified. On the third day, he rises from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. Hundreds, if not thousands of people visually see him, and they write down the account. They talk about the account first generation, firsthand. They actually say in their writings, like, like I saw this. And, and others that are still alive today, like, verify this with them. We saw him alive when we saw him dead, and he's risen from the dead. One of the most provable historical facts is that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so... 50 days later, like, the mute has changed a little bit, but there's still a lot of persecution going on. And so this crowd that shouted, crucify him, has stuck around the pilgrimage from all over the known Roman world. And now they find out on the day of Pentecost that the person who they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Not only did they say crucify him, they said, you know, if we're wrong, let his blood be on us and on our children. Like, they said, like, if, you know, we are so sure this man should die that we take full responsibility that if he's not guilty, let us be cursed. Let our kids be cursed. That's how sure we are. And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and says, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. You ever done anything you wondered if there's any coming back from or not? I bet you it's not as bad as that. And so they're cut to the heart, and they say this in Acts chapter 2, brothers, like we had no idea. We just listen to this newscast. We just listen to this leader. We just listen to this religious figure. We just, we just did what we saw everybody else doing. We had no idea. Brothers, what you, I mean, we, we were involved in the execution, the, the, the murder plot of the Son of God. How many guys know there's some things you can come back from? You know, cheating at Nintendo, maybe not a huge thing. I'm not saying do it. I'm just saying, how many guys know this is worse than that? This is probably, if you could single out one single moment and one single act done by one single crowd, this is probably the most despicable, heartless, sinful, violent, covetous, jealous, lustful, greedy. It was all there as a scream, kill him, kill him, give us a murderer because he's better than the Son of God is. And now they realize they have the greatest old cred moment in human history. They said, brothers, what shall we do? This is the answer. You ready? This is the answer for the worst thing that's ever been done, then this is the answer for everybody in this room. He says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the third person of the Trinity living inside of you, breathing inside of you, dwelling inside of you. Like, like you would walk into a temple, he will come inside of you, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is for you who said, let his blood be on our heads. This is for your children because you said, let his blood be on us and on our children. The curse you brought down has been replaced by a blessing because of the blood of Jesus. And because of that, it's for those who are here, those who are far off, for as many as the Lord our God shall call. It, it, all. How many guys know like, when the Bible uses the word all? Can you say, does that include me? Yeah, all. How many guys know what the word all means in the original language? All. Thank you. Yeah, you're so smart, right? So the beautiful thing about what what God has done by offering his son as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And you've got to hear me. No matter what you do and no matter what you've done, what he has done is more powerful than anything you'll ever do. And, and, as, and as someone who does bad things, and you say, you're a pastor, you do bad things? I do worse things because I know more, I'm accountable to more. Does that make sense? I think, you know, a kid that walks around and smacks his sister, he doesn't know any better. She had his toys, she deserved it. I mean, that's what he would think, Right? 
but, but and all the men said, yeah, and the girls were like, no, that's misogyny. I get it. I'm sorry. I forgot what, yeah. Anyway, move on, Jim. Don't stop there. Keep moving. Keep moving. But for me, it's like if I, if I smack somebody, I, I should know better. If I lie to somebody, I should know better. If I steal from somebody, I should know better. Are you still with me? So I, I think in many ways I'm more conscious of how cruddy I am today than I was the day I repented and was baptized. So I, and it doesn't condemn me. What it does is it proves this. No matter how powerful my evil deeds are, the power of the mercy of God is more powerful. <laughs> so I get to live free because Jesus died in my place and paid my penalty. It's, it's greater than what you've done. Let me tell you something else. It's greater than what people have done to you. I've learned this. Like people do bad things to me and I do bad things to people, I suppose, not nearly as bad as they do to me. But, but bad, I'm sure. You know what I mean? And, and in doing that, I've learned that what God has done for me is actually more powerful than what other people have done to me. I can actually be healed by a loving father instead of walking in a wounded state for the rest of my life. I can be restored through the God who can take all things and work them together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purposes that, that what he can do through me and in me and even through the bad things that have been done to me, that they're more, he's more powerful than they are. And so we talk about this, like, how, what's the way out of this feeling that I'm separated from God? What's this way out of repeated cycles of defeat? What's the way out? And this is the way out. Repent. Be baptized. Know Jesus. Follow him. So I say, be, repent and be baptized. You say, well, what, what is baptism? You ready? The word baptismo. It's powerful. It means to be dunked. You say, well, that doesn't sound powerful. It literally means if you take like a piece of white cotton cloth and there's like a, a vat of like purple dye and you put it in there, it's affected. It's, it was empty and now it's full. It was dry and now it's wet. It was white and now it's purple. It's been affected by that change. We talk about baptism. It's not, it's not just a little dabble, do you? It's not a little sprinkle. We should anticipate when we are baptized that there's something that happens in that or God would have said do it. I don't think God cares if we get wet or stay dry. I think what he cares about is an experience with him, and so baptism. So why is baptism such a big deal then if it's just getting wet? <clears throat> well, number one is this. It's an outward physical act that somehow, and I can't tell you how, I wish I knew, but somehow it consummates this, this inward miracle of salvation. And, and you say, well, why is that a big deal? I, I guess I come back and say, give me an analogy that you'll never forget, and you'll never forgive me for giving it to you, okay? You guys ready for this? On, on the wedding day, there's a covenant that is established. You know, will you take this woman to be your lawfully, although about 10% say awfully. I don't know why. Lawfully is the word. Lawfully. What do I have to hold this before? How about you? Okay, repeat after me. I, Speedy Gonzalez, take these who's a cue to be my lawfully. What do I have to hold this? Better words, richer portions. And to love and church, so death to us part. And there's a word covenant. There's a covenant that's established by words and witnesses. After that, the pastor will say something like, what tokens do you bring today to signify the sincerity of these vows you've taken? And they'll hand me things like, like a carbon fiber ring that I have because no one wants to kill me when I'm in the third world for this ring. That's why I wear it. And, uh, and that the huge gold bland. I used to have this huge Mr. T nugget. It wasn't. It was a girl's ring that I wore for 20 years. And thank God she bought me a big... Ma- How do you think it's a masculine ring? It's just Super Bowl, you know? And... Uh, and so a gift covenant, a covenant established by gift is made. But then later on, on the wedding night, there's an establishing of another covenant, the physical covenant, the experiential covenant. The noun of my love for you, the noun of my vow to you becomes the verb of the two becoming one. Does this make sense? You guys look so scared that I'm going to take it a step farther. That's it. We're done. Good illustration. Like, please, don't. The children are here, you know. There's something about the, what happens on the inside of me when I give my life to Jesus, when I recognize who he is and who I am and my great need for him and the great love that he has for me and what he's done for me on the cross that, that needs an expression beyond, hey, 
we cool? We good? Something beyond, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Help me and forgive me. Something beyond that where you actually take it from something that's happening inside of me to something that's happening with all of me. It consummates this. It's a public profession. If you thought, well, I'm just going to sneak around and kind of be married to Jesus. Well, you, she couldn't sneak around and be married to me. I just kissed her in front of everybody. Like, you know, it's known. <laughs> well, in, in this same thought, we're going to be connected to Jesus. So publicly, we do this. We don't kind of off privately at night, dunk ourselves and come back. It's usually done in front of friends and family and loved ones and in-laws and outlaws. <clears throat> so if that's the case, some people might say, well, what if I was baptized as a baby? You know what it means if you're baptized as a baby? It means your mom and dad loved you. Means, your, means the church that you attended had a tradition that goes back to the third century where they valued because of something called original sin. I, I mean, guys know you don't have to teach a child to hit his sister or, or to lie. That comes natural. You, you have to teach them not to lie, right? You have to teach them not to hit their brother. In the same way, they, just, they recognize when I mean, kids are born like a little selfish. Like they cry because it's all about them. And I want, I want, I want. And that was before somebody put like candy bars at eye level at the checkout stand. That, that didn't start sin. It's always been there. So they recognize their kids are being born in sin. But we remember the mortality rate of children in the third century. It, it was terrifying. Diarrhea, a cold, flu, dehydration. Children would die. They, they'd come down with a cold. They'd be dead three days later of something we would just go and get an antibiotic for today. People traveling to and from, so some disease from Egypt would end up in some small town and wipe out half the population, the plagues that, that were so prevalent. And so they're watching their children die, and they're wondering, you know, they, they weren't righteous when they died. They weren't, they, like, they were, they never got to that place, like, and they were worried, are our kids going to go to heaven? So they began a tradition of baptizing children, and that way they felt like a sense of, like, because when we were baptized, we gave our life to Jesus, we were baptized, our sins were washed away, maybe this will wash the sins off of our children. So that tradition stuck from the third century in the Roman tradition, the Roman Catholic Church, and out of that, the Lutheran Church, Episcopalian Church, all the churches that came out of that. And, but here's one of the neat things about the Bible is, have you ever taken, like, the old Xerox machines where you take a copy, and then you copy the copy? And then you copy the copy of the copy, then you copy the copy of the copy. Do I have to keep going? You guys get the illustration. Eventually, it's like it doesn't quite look like the original, but because people in the first century wrote down what they saw, what they heard, the teachings of Jesus, the acts of the apostles, we can actually go back to the original and copy the original. So what it means if you were baptized as a baby is that your mom and dad loved you a lot. It means your grandmother and grandfather raised your parents right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have been baptized in the way that Jesus calls us to baptism. Jesus says, repent and be baptized. Do you see that? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, be baptized. We see it all over scripture. That's the pattern where people that understand the choices they've made is inferior to the choice they're now going to make to follow Christ. And in following Jesus, that new direction, there's that act of consummation that says, I'm all in. I don't care who sees it. I don't know where this is. I don't care what it costs me. I'm following Jesus. We're married. We're joined. There's a covenant here. And so if you were baptized as a baby, that's wonderful. I, I don't mean in any way take away the power of tradition. But remember, the power of tradition passed about to the power of Scripture. So that doesn't make anybody wrong. It just means you might have another thing to do that involves your free will, not the free will of your family before you knew you had a free will. Does that make sense? So baptism, it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. There's, there's, a, there's a reason for this. So if I'm baptized today, what should I expect? Number one, write this down. You should expect to get really wet. And for some reason today, the water, you could make like tea with the water over there. So if you're like, oh, it's so cold, it's like you'll be warmer in the tank than you were before you got in the tank. But you should also expect some really powerful transitions to take place in your life. Um, baptism, you see, you know, it's like all oh, this pretty little ceremony and there's, there's a christening and they're all oh, the Billy Pass Catechism and Susie's First Communion. That's all wonderful. 
But what biblically baptism is, the pictures that, that are painted for us to understand what baptism really is and what's really happening are really powerful. Like, for example, Noah's Ark. Um, in, the, in the story of Noah's Ark, there's a few righteous people in a world that's soaked in the blood of the innocent and sin that abounds. And God goes, oh, it's just so bad. The only way to deal with this is to destroy that which will destroy people that I love. So there's just a handful of people in that. There's a handful of examples of creation in that. It's spared, but everything else is washed clean by destroying it with water. Now, when you go into the tank today, those who are being baptized, your expectation should be there's stuff that's going to be killed by the water. There's stuff that, through this act of faith, there's stuff that I'm going in one person, I'm coming out another person. The, the world would enter the flood in one condition. It came out of the flood in a very different condition. It was pristine. It was unpolluted. There wasn't a yesterday that cursed our tomorrow. It was just a brand new today. When you're baptized, you should expect that. Now, there's another example, and as cheesy as that is, man, isn't that just like coloring book corny? There's another one, and that is when Moses leads people through the Red Sea. He goes down through in all of Israel. An estimated three million people cross on dry ground. But when the Egyptian army, Pharaoh's you know, muscle, the, the chariots, the horses, the spearmen, the, the, the ground shook when they were approaching. Dust clouds you could see from a mile away. Terrifying. It followed them down in there. If you are the Cecil Mead, the, the mill fan, Charlton Heston, the girl goes, Moses. I mean, it was, it was so incredibly melodramatic, that video. But it's, it's an ugly scene because as they get down in the heart of that Red Sea, the waters collapse. And, and you say, well, that's kind of a bloody scene. Why is God so bloody? Listen to me. What's happening is he's telling Israel, everything that once held you here, I've removed. If you'll look behind you, you'll notice for the first time no one's chasing you. You can walk like free people, not run like escaped slaves. You should expect that when you're baptized, there's going to be a transition, a change, a shift from what all your yesterdays were because of the power of God and the obedience where the noun of your faith becomes the verb of your action, you should expect that some of the things that have been chasing you for a long time, they stay in the water and you come out clean on the other side. Speaking of clean on the other side, as Moses brought the people uh, of Israel uh, out of Egypt, they wandered in that place to the right. So in, in the east, there's like that wasteland. There's not a lot of water. It's rocks. When you see brown on the map, like how many of you guys know you don't vacation there? That's not even Palm Springs. It's like no springs. That's like Sahara. Uh, it, it's rocky. The only thing that lives there is the toughest, poisonous, biting, you know, spiny sort of life that God allows to, to live in, in those environments. It's, it's incredibly harsh. And so God provides for them. When they come to that river, which is Jordan River, uh, you see where the green dot is down the bottom, Jericho? They cross just north of the Dead Sea, which is that body of water, the Sea of Galilee at the top, they crossed over in that area, and for the first time in 40 years, they see grass. How many guys, like, you've been here in February. How many guys know the, the six months here called February? And then you go someplace like Hawaii, or you go someplace like Ireland, or you go someplace like that has life, that didn't fall asleep eight months ago like Michigan, and, you, and your mind, like, you walk outside the door, and you just kind of brace yourself for that cold blast. You're like, it, it doesn't hurt to be in Florida. I like it here. And then you see the green, and you're like, oh, this is my, my soul remembers what it is to live. Forty years in the wilderness, they come to this, like, beautiful, lush, green place. And then they cross over into the promised land, from the wilderness of wandering into the promises of God. And when John the Baptist used to baptize people, he did it right there above the Dead Sea. You see where Jericho is, just to the right of Jericho, between the Jordan River and Jericho is a place called Gilgal. 
And that was where they first walked into the promised land. And John the Baptist would stand there. He'd line people up on, on the east side in the wilderness. He'd bring them through living water, water on the Sea of Galilee that's alive, flowing down, washing the dirt off their body into the Dead Sea. Anybody know what the Dead Sea is all about? It's the lowest body of water in the world. In other words, what goes in the Dead Sea is Vegas, baby. I'm sorry, Vegas goes all over the place. It's the Dead Sea, baby. What goes in the Dead Sea stays in the Dead Sea. And it's this picture. I have done things from which I had to ask God, will I ever be right with you again? Will we ever be close again? Will you ever love me again? And I'm reminded, because I have been loved by this God, because I've received the gift of His Son's sacrifice for my sin, paying my debt of unrighteousness with His own righteousness. The blood that's required of me, paid for with His blood. I'm reminded that nothing I will ever do will outpower what He's done for me. And we've been talking a lot lately about fresh starts and new beginnings, and we thought that maybe today there would be some that say, you know what, I, I'm ready to do this. I want to. And, and if you're going to today, two things you need to know. One is, I'm going to ask you to line up on that wall where they're going to be meeting you, and you can go ahead and do that right now. Just if you're going to be baptized, go ahead over there. The other thing is this, though. If you came today, it's like, I just came to see Billy sing. I just looked up on the line. Uh, your worship leader was a good-looking guy with a beard. I thought I'd come see. You know what I mean? But now you're sitting here, and you're going, wait a minute. I, I think today might be more than what I thought it was going to be. So I, I didn't take a class. I didn't sign up. Can I tell you something? Nobody that Jesus baptized took a class. Nobody signed up. What they did is they responded in a moment to something they felt God was doing. So I didn't bring a towel. We have towels. But no one's ever seen me with my hair wet before. Humility is a powerful thing. And humiliation is just one step farther. So how much more powerful is that? I don't have a change of clothes. I'll give you the shirt off my back. And so will anybody else in this room. If you're here today and you're going to let things like the way we look or I wasn't quite prepared or when's the next time we're doing this, don't. When, when Jesus is in town, you, sh you should get to know him. When God's moving in your life, don't, don't push him away. Pull him in. If you're here today and you want to be baptized, there is nothing keeping you from being baptized but you, right? So who should be baptized? Well, anyone who's ready to follow Jesus. Anyone who's ready to take it from your words to your, your gifts to your all. That's what that tank is for. I wish we had a Jordan River. We don't. We have a portable Dead Sea. I don't, I don't think God minds if it's not done in the exact spot. I think more powerfully than what we're going to do physically to you is what you're doing in faith before God. Last question. Have you been baptized? If you haven't, I got good news for you. You can leave here today having consummated an inward decision to follow Christ. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray every person in this room right now, God, I ask that you would